0: Lord, thanks for your goodness, thanks for your love and your grace and your mercy, and Lord, we never tire of it, never tire of uh, just all you do in our lives, individually and collectively, and, and Lord, now today, at this time, we want to hear from you uh, through the way that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word. And so, Lord, we want to hear from you, and so please speak to our hearts as we read and talk about your word together. Have your way with us now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Everybody, if you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, who's a young, probably mid-30s, that's what I'm calling young, <coughs> a pastor of the Church of Ephesus. By this point in church history, the Church of Ephesus has probably had some challenges. We don't know really specifically what they are necessarily Uh, which I kind of like, if I can just say it this way. You know, church history talks about what the problems might have been, and other scriptures kind of allude to maybe what might have been. But Paul doesn't really go into a lot of detail of that as much as he just sets us on the right course. And sometimes, rather than talking about everything that's wrong, maybe it's good to just set on the right course, right? Right? And so Paul is giving Timothy some basic instruction, um, sort of how to, how to do church. There are lots of ways to do church. Anybody ever notice that? There are lots of ways today to do church. And uh, our way is just one of them. It's not uh, the only way. Um, but it's what, I, what it seems the Lord has for us. And as best as I can discern, it's what we're supposed to be doing uh, here today. So here we are. Um, we know that Paul, when he was, uh, talking to the Ephesian elders there at the end of the book of Acts, he said that the time's going to come when there's going to be savage wolves come into the church at Ephesus, and, uh, it appears that, and, and what they'll do is they'll draw people after themselves. Savage wolves tend to do that. They draw people after themselves, and, um, and, you know, if you read uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, written a bit later, uh, by that time, uh, Jesus, in the letter to the Ephesian church, tells them that they've left their first love, their love of God. And so there are some things that have gone on. And, and you know, people are people. You ever notice the church is full of people? And uh, people are sinners, including me. And so we all have a tendency to uh, misstep a little bit. We all have a tendency to be prideful a little bit. We all have a tendency to be selfish a little bit. But that's not unique to anybody, right? And so God gives us, first of all, he saves us. Second of all, he gives us his Holy Spirit uh, who guides us into all truth. And, And he gives us his word so that we can have instructions, so we can kind of know the steps to take. Uh, David in, in the psalm said, How can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to your word, right? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I like what my, um, our pastor up in Indianapolis always said, Light unto my feet is my low beams, lamp into, or lamp unto my feet is my low beams, light unto my path is my high beams, right? That's what we got. We got low beams and high beams, and it's the word of God. And so... He's been talking so far about maintaining good doctrine. He's talked about the roles of men and women in the church. He's talked about the qualifications of leaders. Uh, He's talked about the pursuit of godliness. And all those are good basic principles for a church, and that's what we're all about. We want to do—we want to follow good basic principles for the church. And now in this chapter 5, he moves into some sort of specific, um, if you will, groupings of people. And— and how the church is supposed to take care of them now i Tracy and I have nine children, right now ranging from thirty two to ten, okay Navigating nine children has always been a little bit of an adventure right and um, and and we actually navigated this adventure for quite a while before I really realized this dynamic. And, uh, and I need to e- even daily realize this dynamic. But here's the dynamic of a big family. By the way, if you're a kid, right, there's, we got some generous families here, right? Generous-sized families. Let me tell you, kids, heads up. Kids, all eyes on deck, right? Your parents are trying, right? Your parents are trying. Your parents love you your parents want the best for you, your parents are trying, and, um, and they're not perfect, right? Kids, raise your hand if your parents aren't perfect, right? Parents, raise your hand if your parents aren't perfect. Nobody's had perfect parents, and so, uh, except the nation of Israel, that's a whole other story, their, their God was, their father was God, and our father is God, so we have a perfect heavenly father, right? But earthly, earthly parents are not perfect. We're trying. But anyway, in the midst of navigating a big family, there's sort of two things that go on in parallel, and they are, I want every one of those nine kids to know that they are a child of God, they're loved by God individually, they're loved by God, they're loved by me, they're loved by my wife, and ideally, they're loved by their siblings, right? That's a good day, right? I was talking to a dad just a minute ago. That's a good day. And so I want every individual to know that. But I also have this thing like there's 11 of us, counting Tracy and I, right? We have to move as a group in some regards, right? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Good. Okay. We have to move as a group. And so are we a group or are we... Uh, you know, we, we, the group has to be functional, but the individual can lose his identity for the sake of the group if we're too group-oriented. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if we're too individual-oriented, the group just turns into complete chaos. Anybody notice that? Right? Kids, it's coming together now, right? That's what they're all uptight about, Right? Right? That's what they've been so uptight about all along. Trying to balance, and maybe even consciously or subconsciously, trying to balance that dynamic of the individual versus the group. I remember when we first came to town. Moved here from Indianapolis. At that time, um, there weren't nine. There were, well, the sixth one was born right about the time we came here. Which to me seemed like an overwhelming number. Well, it was an overwhelming number. But anyway. I remember when we first came to town, we first, the first time we pulled up to uh, a restaurant. And they were young at the time. And I remember, and, and it was one of those days, I don't, know what, I don't know what music was playing in the car or anything. But parents, you know what I'm talking about? There's just some days that just the, the vibe on the, in the car is just a little wound up, right? And you know, if we take this vibe into the restaurant... They're going to usher us out of here, right? I literally remember back in those days, we'd, we could, it wasn't unusual for us to walk into a restaurant, you know, and whoever, like if there's a hostess there, whatever, they'd look at me, they'd look at Tracy, they'd size us up, they'd say, all right, we've got a table for you. <laughs> and then they'd walk way in the back of the restaurant, away from anybody else, Right? So I remember we were in the car and there's this intense vibe and I'm and I remember like, all right, we are Murphys. This is a small town. Everybody knows everybody sooner or later. We don't want them to be afraid of Murphys. <laughs> right? And so we kind of had this thing like we're going as a group, right? And the group has this sort of group identity even today. You know, they're, they're not today necessarily, but they're, you know, when we go somewhere, there are some people that say, oh, you're one of those Murphy kids, right? Well, yeah, they are, but they're also a human being, right? And like you guys with big families, right? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to learn everybody's names. That's, that's important because you're all individuals, right? We're all individuals, and yet we're all part of a group. How does that work in the church? Guess what the church is? A group of individuals, right? And so the the parallels, I think, are very important. So let me just tell you as an individual. As an individual, God loves you. Just like I said earlier, as an individual, God loves you, Jesus died for you, and God wants to have fellowship with you. And there's no... There's no sociology, there's no government, there's no church government, there's no political government, there's no, no bit of history that can take anything away from that. God loves you, period. And if you catch nothing else from, from today, know that. God loves you enough that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for you. If you were the only human being in all of history, Jesus Christ would have hung on a cross for you. You got to get that. Right? That's a sober message, but the reality is you got to get that. We all have to get that. That's who we are in the eyes of God. Now, the other side of it is we're a group, right? There's the body of Christ overall, there's the United States of America, there's, you know, we're all sort of parts of different groups, right? And today, we're part of this group, right? And so we are a part of this group as the Ephesian church. Was a part of a group, and so the lessons to the Ephesian church overlap to the lessons for us. And so, basically, what he's going to talk about is how the church kind of takes care of some of its people. Fair enough. So here we go. He says, "Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity." All right. So I want to ask for a show of hands. But if I were, I'd say raise your hands if you fit in one of those groups. Older man, younger man, older women, younger women. Who are we talking about? Everybody, right? Everybody. And I'll say including kids, right? Everybody. So let's break this down. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. The word rebuke here, this is an interesting word. You know the word rebuke is mentioned is in our translation of the Bible throughout the Bible, but this is the only place in the Scripture that this Greek word for rebuke is mentioned, and it's it's mentioned this way because the reference is like uh, to the means like to chastise or to strike at, like to just unleash on somebody, right? And when we see the word rebuke elsewhere in Scripture, it's It's more of like, you know, point him in the right direction. This is, don't unleash on an older man. Okay? Even if he's wrong. Even if he's in the wrong and he needs to be corrected. Don't unleash on him. Right? Exhort him like a father. Exhort him like a father. You know, it's important to treat all people with respect. And I've had to learn this, honestly. Because this may just be me. But I have a tendency to think I'm always right. Right? Anybody else think that way? Think you're always right? And if I'm right, and you're in front of me, and there's a disagreement, one of us is going to be right, and one of us is going to be wrong. Right? Which one's right? Me. Which one's wrong? You. If you happen to be older, too bad so sad for you, I'm going to unleash on you. Right? And that's kind of a little bit too often how I used to roll. And... The Scripture's clear here. Even if an older man needs a correction, don't unleash on him. Don't unleash on him. Everybody Everybody wants to be treated with respect. Can you catch this? Everybody wants to be treated with respect. You can disagree, but you can still disagree respectfully. Can I tell you this? As the body of Christ, we have, you've heard me say this before, I'll probably keep saying it for a while. As the body of Christ, we have a tremendous opportunity right now, socially. Tremendous opportunity. Whenever there's a void, there's an opportunity, right? In the horse and buggy era, there was an opportunity for the automobile to take over, right? Right? Whenever there's a void, there's an opportunity. Right now, socially, there's a void of respect for those who disagree with. A tremendous social void. I won't break it down socially because I'll offend everybody sooner or later, right? We can offend all political persuasions, but we have a tremendous void of respect. There is a need in our society to learn how to respectfully disagree with one another. And if you disagree with an older man, exhort him respectfully as a father. Proverbs 16.31, one of my favorite verses. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. You know, So if you've got silver hair, it's a crown of glory. My kids. You know what my kids told me today? Speaking of respect, one of my kids told me this morning, "I should get a white sweatshirt. It'd look like I'm wearing a hoodie." It's <laughs> kind of respect I get at my house in that group. That kid lost his individualized status. He's just a part of the Mur- he's just a Murphy kid today. I can tell you that. Um, anyway, yeah. If I had a white ho- white sweater, that's why I don't wear white sweaters. But anyway, older man. Exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, right? Like peers. What it mean, what's it mean? It means don't look down on younger men. Don't look down on them. Paul told Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. Just be an example. Don't look down on them. Older women as mothers, right? If you treat older women as, re- as mothers, that should imply respect as well. And younger women as sisters with all purity. That means no weird motives right? Like sisters. Now, here's another thing I have to point out. What's the example of how we're supposed to treat those in the church? Like mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters. What's that called? It's called a family. It's called a family. A healthy family is a model for a healthy church. And those go hand in hand. Our church should be A church that's got healthy families. I know there's individuals. I know there's people at all phases of life and all that, but to some extent there should be some healthy families in the church, right? And a healthy family should be uh, a part of a healthy church, and the church should function like a healthy family, and those two go together. That's why I'm, I'm so passionate that the church should uphold the family and should support the family. Too often the church competes with the family by you know, pulling everybody in 12 different directions, right? I got, you know, this kid on the church soccer league and I got dad tied up at a, at a you know, elders meeting every other, every other night and I got mom out here doing this and doing that and I got this kid going this direction and, and I personally just don't know if that's healthy for the family. It's just my, my bent. But the church should encourage the family. That's why, again, maybe this is my quirkiness, we love to have the families together in here right? I want the families to hear the Word of God together, right? I want mom and dad on the way home to ask kids, hey, what'd you you learn this morning, right? I want kids on the way home, if they have a question, to break it down with mom and dad, because I want them to, to hear as much as they're able to hear the same thing. So that's all that's about. But healthy families are like healthy churches, and so that's a good model for us. He says, Honor widows who are really widows. Now he's going to get into uh, some specific categories, and he kind of harps on widows a little bit here for a minute. Not harps on, but wants us to encourage widows and take care of widows. You know, James one twenty-seven says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit widows, and orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Here's the truth of the reality of things. The church, again, is individuals, a bunch of people that need to be saved by grace, going to heaven, living for eternal life and living abundant life here on earth because they're fellowship with God through the grace of Jesus Christ, right? That's the individual state of everybody. But collectively, you know, there are needs in the church, right? You've heard me say this before. I love, I'm so blessed by the way this church takes care of one another. So blessed. And one of the things that needs care in Paul's day, in Timothy's day, was that the widows needed to be cared for. Now, keep in mind this. Uh, this word says honor widows who are, really, who are really widows. Number one, honor widows means, to some extent, it means respect. But it also, in the, in the Greek, it implies, um, and in this context, at least some degree of material uh, care for the widows. So, you know, the church, uh, it's different for different situations. In some cases, the church was to um, help with a widow's um, financial needs or maybe uh, food and shelter, maybe some other kind of material support, uh, whatever. Um, you know, in that day, you got to keep in mind, there was no Social Security, right? Uh, a woman was uh, very dependent on her husband for provision, much more than today. You know, It's not, not necessarily a social commentary, one way or the other, but in those days, a woman was much more completely dependent on her husband for provision. So when her husband died, she had the loss you know, of, of her loving husband, but she also had a very tangible loss of provision. And so that was uh a little bit more particular to that culture and so um you know we the lessons imply for us uh we need to take care of widows uh we need to take care of anyone who's in need we need to take care of orphans we need to take care of of one another as needs come up but uh here he's talking about um widows in that day he says if any widow has chi- but if any widow has children or grandchildren let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now, if you have King James Version, uh, it says if a widow has children or nephews. Uh, and so really, the, the Greek word implies basically extended family. So, if a widow has uh, family or extended family, then their obligation is to take care of the, of the, the widow. So, their families were tighter in a sense than our society. So we have to kind of take the cultural situation that they were in, the cultural situation we're in, uh, which, what biblical lessons apply, fair enough? And so for them, they had much tighter multi-generational families. Uh, can I just say this? We could use a little bit of that, right? We could use a little, a, little less age breakdown in the generations. Fair enough. Older people can uh, bring to the table uh, a certain bit of resources into, the, into a multi-generational setup. Younger people can bring that into the setup, right? I've seen it in my own life. We've got, you know, we sort of live in a, well, I won't call it a commune, but, you know, a multi-generational commune, right? In many ways. Uh, we got grandkids over all the time, Right? And when they do, right, there's, uh, there's some shared resources. There's uh, just a lot of benefit of that. And in those days, they had a lot more of that even than we do. And so they, you know, when grandma needs help, they were there to help grandma. Simple as that. But there are times, perhaps, when that's not available in the church or in the family. And in that case, uh, it it's good for the church to step up. So that's all he's talking about here. So he goes on, verse 5. Now, she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers day and night. So, you know, if a widow, particularly if a widow was to be taken into the fold of the church, she does have some obligation, right? It's not just like a free ride right? And really that has to do with any kind of charity within the church, right? It's it shouldn't be necessarily a free ride, but you know, there should still be some blessing to the to the person and all that. In this case, widows very much. And if you think about this, this sometimes plays out today. Widows have time on their hands oftentimes, right? And um and very often they're prayer warriors, right? We've had them here. We have them we have them in this church. Uh, a an older woman who's a prayer warrior, with time on her hands to pray, is uh, to me is one of the greatest assets of a, of a healthy church, and I'm thankful for that here. It's a it's a tremendous asset, and so um, it behooves the church to help take care of her, make sure her needs are met, and obviously, as you can you know as you play this out, this could apply to of a number of people that might have need. He goes on, he says, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. All right? So the word pleasure, the Greek word means voluptuous luxury. I like that, right? Voluptuous luxury. A woman who lives like that, right? She's on her own, right? But again, as we take the application, the lessons of this, right? That could be for any of us, right? If I'm living just for my own pleasure, my own luxury, right? He who, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? If I live with that kind of mindset, I'm dead while I live, right? I'm truly dead while I live. What did Jesus say? If you want to find your life, give it away, right? If you want to hang on to your life, you're miserable. Can I tell you this? Individuals now, individuals saved by grace, fellowship with God through the grace of Jesus Christ, go on to heaven eternally, but abundant life here on earth. You want abundant life here on earth? Don't live for yourself. Now, we're in church. That's the right answer, right? I know that. You're a preacher. You're supposed to say stuff like that. let me just say it again. You want to be miserable? Live for yourself. Make sure you take good care of number one. I'm talking to myself now. Those times when I'm looking out for number one, I might get the food I want or the coffee I want, made the way I want it, when I want it. But that's not really life. It's not really life. And I've logged too many years and seen too many examples of people taking good, good care of themselves and are just completely miserable. Please don't be one of those. That person, I I like the way Paul says it. That person is dead while she lives. That person is dead while she lives person is missing out on real life and you know what's interesting I've, again I've said this before the Lord's bringing in several recurrent themes in my mind so I'm sorry if they seem like recurrent themes in my mind but there's this fascinating thing even in God's grace the person who's dead while they live may not even realize it may not even realize it there are I, I'm, the more I'm realizing life with the Lord, there is so much abundance and so much richness out there that I could settle for this and never realize that there's this. Right, I could just go through life thinking that this is, that life really is about me getting my coffee the way I want it, right, and thinking that's a good life. And I think in God's grace, He kind of just lets us think that. Not showing us what we're missing. But then as we explore, as we as we surrender Romans chapter twelve, verse one, right? As we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, as we do that, guess what? There is, a, there is a world of life that opens up to us that the Bible talk calls abundant life. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that's the abundant life God wants us to have. And so, living selfishly is a good way to be dead while we live. And for a widow that's living selfishly, is dead while she lives, um, the church isn't obligated to take care of her needs and to uh, subsidize her selfishness. The church is never (laughs) expected to subsidize selfishness. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So if a a widow does have a family, even extended family, uh, this is a reference to, to them that they need to take care of their own. Right, and uh, it's a message uh, for us. We need to take care of our own. The scripture is pretty clear about that. The scripture is pretty clear, specifically that a man, if uh, first uh, first Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, chapter three, verse ten, says, "If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat." That's pretty harsh, and that's the context. There is to men, but doesn't say if he can't work. Right? There's some men that can't work, but if he says he won't work then he shouldn't eat. And so those are strong words, but those are the words of of the Scripture. He says, Do not let a widow under 60 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she's been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she's brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, if she's diligently followed every good work. So this is a godly woman, okay, and this is a godly woman, and again, this is specific to those that should be, come under the fold of, of the, um, being cared for by the church. So this is a, uh, an elderly woman. Now keep in mind, uh, again, as we kind of put their context, their cultural context and our cultural context, if you lived to be a teenager in those days, your average life expectancy was around 50, okay? So we're talking about old ladies now, Okay. So, if I say old ladies to someone who's 60, I don't mean that here. I mean it here, right? How was church today? Awesome. He called me old. No. That's this, in this context. I thank God for modern medicine that we can expect a longer, longer life than that. But anyway, that was, that was what it was at that time, and God knew what he was doing. But there were some character qualities, again, that we want to watch for uh, in these older women. Number one, they were a wife and one man. And just like we talked about with uh, the qualifications of, of bishops and deacons, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were never divorced. It means they were a one-man kind of a woman, right? They were a, they were a faithful woman in that regard. That they brought up children. That could mean their own children, or it could mean, you know, they've, they positively influenced the other children of the church, uh, as, they were, as they were aging. That she's lodged strangers. You know, hospitality was important then. It's, imp- it's important now. Hospitality is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers some people, gives them a special uh, uh, ability to care for others in their, in their home. And that was an important thing. Washed feet, relieved afflicted, diligently did every good work. That means she's been others-focused. Again, you want to be not dead while you live? be focused on caring for the needs of others super important but refuse the younger widows i'm not i didn't write these words i'm just reading them okay Everybody are okay with this just reading them but refuse the younger widows for when they have begun to grow wanton against christ they desire to marry having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. And so, let me just say this. This is not unique to young women. This really applies to everybody. That's why, you know, Paul encourages men to work, right? Men need to be busy. Women need to be busy, right? Does that mean you have to have a job? No, it means we need to be busy. We need to be intentional, Right. If we are at a point in life where you know we maybe don't have to work, or we, um, you know, everybody's got different life situations, especially in more in our culture where there's lots of different scenarios. But the reality is, we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional. There is a lot of life in our world today that's wasted, 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 wasted on entertainment wasted on self-indulgence, and uh, God wants us to have more abundance than that. And so, you know, really, this applies to anyone. Uh, when, you know, when we get to be idle, you know, we wander about from house to house, and not only idle, we become gossips, we become busybodies, we uh, start to get involved in things which we shouldn't ought to, and it's a good way to be dead while we live. Verse 14, therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. And so, see, there you go. Paul's a chauvinist, right? That's what people say, right? Again, keep in mind the cultural context. A, woman's, uh, a woman didn't necessarily have a lot of opportunities in the workforce, right? Particularly a widow, not a lot of opportunities in the workforce. And so he would say a younger woman, if she's going to be busy, if she's going to be intentional, it'd be good for her to get remarried and uh, be responsible for a family. And he says, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. And so again, if somebody has widows in their family, they should care for them so as not to burden the church. Fair enough? We, co- we cover widows? Everybody good with that? Right? But again, keep in mind, the idea of the widow in that culture really translates to anyone having need in our culture. Right? Should we take care of widows, the, the godly widows in this church? Should we, should we come alongside them? Maybe, you know, maybe it's not necessarily that we put them on a payroll or anything like that, but maybe we... Uh, help them do stuff that they can't otherwise do, right? Uh, Sometimes they need help with their housework. Sometimes they need help with their landscaping. I'm thinking of one right now who's obsessed with her landscaping, who thankfully is not here, right? She loves her landscaping, right? Church can help her, right? It's not any more complicated than that. But even that, there's more than just widows, And here's the thing about, here's the cool thing about the body of Christ. Here's the cool thing about the body of Christ that functions like the human body with all the cells working together, right? There are needs in this room, and I don't know all of them. That's okay, because God does, right? And God can put together the needs and the solution that... honestly, sometimes involves me, sometimes involves you, sometimes doesn't. I, I tell people all the time, there are lots of examples where I find out about it after the fact. That to me is a healthy church. I'm not micromanaging all that, right? You don't want me micromanaging all that. I'll gum it up. Then I have to pass some kind of committee for somebody to take care of somebody else, right? And so this is just a healthy way of taking care of one another. Verse 17, he goes on, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And so, again, super practical, probably too practical. <laughs> uh, but the reality is, uh, this is a biblical example where a pastor or a leader in the church can be paid. All right? Fair enough? Fair enough? pastor or a leader of the church can be paid. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through through 18, he reiterates this idea that a minister can be paid. A minister can uh, do their job, do their thing, and be paid. Interestingly, Paul, in his discussion of that, he said, I could be paid, but I choose not to. I still choose to be a tent maker for my daily needs, right? And to me, that's a great model too. So we have both we have we have biblical examples of both. Does that make sense for our church? I'll just just in the name of transparency, right? I have a day job that takes care of my needs, right? And so we kind of uh, when we started this church, we kind of had a discussion and felt like honestly it'd be kind of weird if I took a salary from the church. That's not like anything necessarily sacrificial because my day job takes care of my needs it's just it is what it is and so I have the privilege of doing like Paul did right I have a tent making job that works fine right I love my tent making job my tent making job allows me to interface with society interface with a lot of you guys in that way and that way and this way and it all seems to work out okay right And so you have either way, a tent maker, you you can be a tent maker, you can be uh, a guy that receives his provision from the church. Uh, Again, um, there's a word I don't like that's used in church circles too often, and that's the word you've heard me say before, it's hard to even come out, right? Full-time ministry, right? Full-time ministry, what's that mean? means the guy gets paid by the church. (laughs) Right? Right? Does that matter? Am I in full-time ministry? Am I going to be in ministry tomorrow when I go to my doctor job? Right? Are you going to be in ministry tomorrow when you go do your whatever-it-is job? Or if you are a widow and you go home and pray? Are you going to be in full-time ministry? Right? So where's the part-time ministers? Are there any part-time ministers? Don't raise your hand because you're not one right? There's no such thing as a part-time minister. And so the secular and the sacred really shouldn't be quite as distinct as we think they are, right? And so can a pastor, if a pastor is so busy doing church stuff that he can't, he doesn't really have time to make tents, right? Right? Is it okay if he gets paid by the church? Absolutely. But is the guy that makes tents, and in my opinion, because I'm a little biased this way, if a guy that makes tents and doesn't burden the church in that way, is he any less of a full-time minister than this guy because he gets a paycheck from the church? No. No. They're both full-time ministers, right? One, you know, Paul, you think Paul ministered while he's making tents? You bet he did right members friends aquila and priscilla they were tent makers with him right and he you know has ministry stuff that he talks about with them and so you know paul says you know if a guy needs to be paid by the church that's fine do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear and so here's sort of the two sides of that with uh, with a leader in the church right a leader in the church, don't receive an accusation against that leader except from two or three witnesses. Thank you. <laughs> right? Anybody in any kind of visible position, whether it's in the workplace or the church or in a parachurch ministry or in a community service or anything like that, anybody that's in a any kind of Visible role is going to get some kind of accusations. Does that make sense? Like I just called 60 years old old," right? That might trigger an accusation, right? There are lots of things that we do. I mean, do I ever say something stupid that might warrant an accusation? Have I ever say anything stupid? Ever. <laughs> I knew I count on. That. <laughs> yeah, I could count on an honest guy in the front one. Yeah. Right? Of course. Right? But, and again, I can't thank you enough that I don't, I'm totally encouraged by you guys. I feel totally supported by you guys. But if something were to come up, if there were to be savage wolves that would come in seeking after themselves, what's going to be their first strategy? Throw mud at the pastor. Right? You know, on Sunday afternoon. Have roast pastor for lunch. Right? Invite all your friends over for pastor for pastor lunch. Pastor appreciation lunch. We're gonna appreciate the pastor while we eat him. Right? Does that happen? I've seen it. It's not pretty. I've seen it. And we need to be careful to guard against that. So Thank you that that's not my personal experience. On the other hand, the guy that's sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Now that doesn't necessarily mean sling mud, right? But it means that there is a higher standard, right? James says that uh, somebody that teaches should be careful about that because we're held to a stricter judgment, stricter standard. And so that's just the both sides of that. He said, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Now, can I harp on this for a second? We need to do everything without prejudice. And if we are going to be a church, which I think we are, and I want us to continue to be, if we're going to be a church that takes good care of one another, we need to do it without prejudice, without partiality. Does that make sense? No prejudice, no partiality. As I'm reading this, I'm just thinking about uh, James talks about, you know, hey, if a guy comes in your church and he's well-dressed, there's a, my, James chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold the faith of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich press and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, Interestingly, you know, in our little small town vibe we got going here, you may not appreciate this if you've grown up in this small town vibe, but I grew up in the city. I grew up in the burbs, right? And in the burbs, everybody's aware of stuff. Does that make sense? Right? Everybody knows, you know, well, I remember which kid had the Trans Am in school. You know which kid, you know, in in the city, you know who has the Trans Am, right? And who had the Corvette, right? In the small town, we don't quite think like that so much, I'm thankful. But there are ways that, so that's, James is kind of talking about that, right? Guy comes in wearing, you know, gold rings, looks like Mr. T, right? You say, hey, here's your seat in the front row. Guy walks in looking like he just got out of prison. You say, hmm, your seat's over there in the kitchen, right? We don't do that. Please, can I ask us? Don't do that. And again, I'm preaching to the choir, right? I I really don't believe we do that. And I'm thankful that we don't do that. But as the scripture comes up, I just want to take that opportunity to reiterate, don't do that. Does that make sense? Truthfully, a guy comes in looking like Mr. T. I think I will tell him his seat is over there. So don't do anything with prejudice or partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. So again, you know, character is tested over time. Um, laying hands on someone t- hastily uh, tempts their pride, honestly, uh, we hear elsewhere in Scripture. So we don't, don't, don't do that. Don't share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Again, keep yourself pure. We're talking about a group of people. We're talking about taking care of one another, but we're talking also about the individual. The individual, keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. So, this is controversial. This is talked about all the time, right? Does the Bible endorse drinking alcohol, right? Let me to break that down for you. No, not that stupid, right? Uh, if you are one who uh, thinks it's okay to drink alcohol, you can, you can make a biblical case for that, right? If you think that alcohol should never be a part of your life, you can make a biblical case for that. As I said uh, a couple chapters ago, if you're an elder, probably not, right? Uh, and here, uh, and, and drunkenness, absolutely not. Ephesians 5, do not be drunk with wine, right? Um, here, notice he says, use a little wine for your stomach's sake. Um, and so the idea in this case is, uh, most commentators would agree on this, in this context it's, it's medicinal, right? Timothy probably had a weak stomach, uh, the water there wasn't quite so good. You know, we didn't have killer amazing off the charts water testing labs uh, like we do in our day to day, right? They didn't have that kind of stuff. We have that here today in this very town, but they didn't have that and so, um, you know, the water was probably a little suspect, right? Probably some bugs floating around in that water, right? And the wine would presumably sort of kill off the bugs a little bit, okay? So, no longer use drink water but use a little wine for medicinal for your stomach's sake to kill the bugs in the water and that's okay. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some men are clearly evident. And those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. So, you know, again, here we have, um, you know, sowing and reaping. um, The idea that uh, we can do things secretly and it doesn't show up till later, right? Positively or negatively. And so... um, That's how that plays out. So we know that before God, we need to live life according to the word. We need to live life with purity and we need to honor the Lord. So the church is an organism of people following God, loving each other, right? As we look to the needs of others, let me just close with this. Keep in mind, we're a group of individuals. Individually, we're accountable to God, right? Collectively, we interact with one another, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? Why do we take care of one another? because Jesus took care of us and how do we do that by thinking more of the other person than of us and why do we do that because that's what Jesus did for us right so as we live individually as we live in fellowship with God we know that he takes care of us we take care of one another he takes care of our of each other but he uses us and allows us to be a part of that let's pray Lord thanks for your goodness thanks that you take such good care of us Thanks that you saved us, and thanks that you allow us to live in community. Lord, we pray that you would just make us mindful of the needs of those around us, the needs of the, of the widows and orphans in our midst, the needs of, of those that we might even be well-suited to take care of. And Lord, help us just do that faithfully, not for some kind of crown, not with partiality or bias, but just because we love you, and we want to serve your children. And so, Lord, help us just to do that faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.